Well, as Joseph mentioned, we're continuing this morning to walk through the book of Malachi together. Uh, If you've been with us through this series, you'll remember that Malachi is the final book in the Old Testament. Uh, It records uh, God's words to his people, the people of Israel, through his prophet, a man named Malachi. Uh, Really, the main purpose and the the point of the book is that God wants to call his nation uh, to repent of the empty worship and the arrogance and coldness they were showing towards him. Um, God had made a covenant, of course, with his people to bless them and to bless the nations through them, but they were not holding up their end of the deal. And so God calls them to return to him. Uh, He hopes that they'll be burdened by their sin so that they'll trust him. Uh, They'll love him with their whole hearts and they'll be obedient to his laws. Uh, The book, if you remember, is divided into six disputes or conversations between God and his people. Uh, Today we come to look at the final one of these, number six. So let's hear the passage now as Cherry comes to read for us. Today's reading is taken from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, to chapter 4, verse 6. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as the Father has compassion and spares his Son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who remember my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his praise, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed cows. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at heart for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Great, thanks, Cherry. Uh, Is it worth it? Uh, This is a question that each one of us asks ourselves uh, constantly, whether we realize it or not. Uh, Is it worth it? Part of being human is the desire to put our minds and our hands to things that we know will be 
profitable. And because of this, we're constantly evaluating the activities, the habits, the jobs even we're involved in to make sure that they actually will pay off. Uh, if you start, start typing in, uh, is it worth it, into a, a Google search bar, uh, it comes up with hundreds of suggestions, um, popular uh, phrases that people have, have typed in. Here are some of the most searched ones uh, that I found. I wonder what you think of these. So first, is it worth it to take vitamins? Who knows, you know? Is it worth it to upgrade to Windows 11? Is it worth it to see Avatar 2 in 3D? It is, actually. Is it worth it to study abroad? Is it worth it to become a teacher? Is it worth it to have kids? Is it worth it to pay for uh, the dating app, Coffee Meets Bagel? Is it worth it to buy an iPhone 14? Maybe for us in Hong Kong, we would think of something like, is it worth it to go to Hong Kong Disneyland? Or is, is it worth it to live on the island? But then what about when it comes to our faith as Christians? What about our relationship to God? Is it worth it? to have faith in God? Is it worth it to obey his commands? Well, in our passage today, we'll see that God's people are questioning him in this very way. Israelites were uh, questioning the benefits of their faith in God, whether obedience to him and his commands would actually pay off. Were they just obeying God in vain? This is their opening question there in verse 13. You can see it up on the screen as well. They say, you, uh, God says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Oh, you have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and, and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So why are they accusing God in this way? Well, if you remember from previous sermons, we saw that the Israelites' circumstances here were, were not very good. Uh, they were being persecuted and abused by the surrounding nations. Uh, their crops were under a curse uh, because of their own sin. We saw that last week. And so they, they don't see the blessing that they'd like, and they conclude, uh, well, if this is what it looks like to be God's people, to obey all these laws and then be stuck with these circumstances, what's the point? It's, it's meaningless to serve him. Well, if you're not a Christian here this morning, perhaps you've asked this question before. Is faith in God really worth it? But then even for Christians, uh, we'll know that life can get so hard, obedience can feel so difficult and strained, uh, it may look so beneficial that when we see the world around us and them not obeying God's laws and, and living their lives more freely maybe than, than we do, and to think, is faith in God really worth it? Well, God, in his mercy, will respond to his people's questions. And the way he responds is by pointing not to uh, the present, but looking ahead to a future day. 
Uh, specifically, he, prom- he prompts them to think of one day, one great day that is to come, a day of judgment where each will uh, give account for what we've done. And it's this day that will prove finally whether faith in him is really worth it. So this morning, I want us to see uh, three reasons the text gives why faith in God is worth it. You'll see the, in the handout there if you have that in front of you. And so, point one, uh, faith in God will be worth it because God will remember. See this in verse 16. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So here we're introduced to a new group of people in Malachi. Uh, So while the whole nation so far in the book has been defiant and cold towards God, uh, we finally get some people here who actually fear him, who actually trust him amid their difficulties. Uh, To be honest, it's been a really heavy book so far. God's people are just totally uh, missing the point, it seems, in every area. But here it's like someone finally opens the window to let some fresh air in. People, uh, they finally get it. Uh, And what happens? The Lord listens. The Lord hears. A scroll is, is written in his presence concerning those who feared him and honored him. This scroll or, or book, as other uh, translations say, of remembrance, it acts as a picture of God's memory and his record keeping. Of course, God and his infinite knowledge, he, he doesn't need a written record uh, in order to keep track of human deeds, but I think he gives us this image to communicate that he really does know and he really does care. Uh, in the book of Esther, we see that the king of Persia kept these kind of record books, these scrolls of remembrance. There were records with people's deeds so that those who rendered services to the king, they could be rewarded later on for what they'd done. For example, in Esther chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we read this about king, the king of Persia. That night the king could not sleep, So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. If you remember the story, Mordecai here gets rewarded for his great service to the king for preventing his assassination. And the people in Malachi's day would have understood that uh, this is what this represents, the king's book. And so while the entire book of Malachi seems to be a record of all Israel's wrongdoings so far, uh, the Lord says here, I don't just remember when you sin or those who have forgotten me. I remember those who have honored me. I will reward them. They say, so Israel, you think it's futile to serve me. You think you gain nothing from obedience and faith? Well, take comfort. You may not see all the rewards now, but I have seen you. I've written everything down. A day is coming when you will be rewarded beyond what you can imagine. And on that day, you'll realize there's nothing more profitable than serving God. 
I think for us, this is really comforting news as God's people. Uh, Loyalty to God does not go unnoticed or unrewarded. God sees the hearts of those who fear him and honor him, who are trying to follow him and obey him. Faithful service may go on for years with no apparent reward, but he is taking note. There is coming a day when he will act. Listen to what uh, John Piper has to say on this verse. He says, God will never forget the good that we have done in his power and for his glory. It may look forgotten and unrewarded now, but God is not unjust. And every lesson faithfully prepared for those kids, every prayer for a hurting friend, every unnoticed act of service we do for others, every I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Every fragment of grace in your life is being written in the book of remembrance and will resound to your joy and God's glory forever when the books are opened. God remembers. I wonder if you've felt that your obedience and faith in God has gone unnoticed, that it wasn't really paying off. If you're honest this morning, what areas of obedience to God are you tempted to think are are done in vain or are worthless or not being seen? Perhaps it's something like serving in a role that's uh, behind the scenes, something that uh, no one at church really sees or notices. Or maybe it's something uh, difficult, something like sexual purity, trying to live according to the Bible's morals in this area. Uh, But questioning then, is this really worth it? It could be so easy to watch the world or others around us, maybe our work colleagues who, who don't follow God's standards in this way and think, oh, they're having a much better time than me. We could be, we could be jealous as if they're being rewarded for their disobedience. Well, friends, the Bible is clear that those who engage uh, in sin aren't really having as good of a time as we think. Sin is actually enslaving them, Scripture will say. But on top of that, we can know as a certainty that God sees us and cares about what we do. And although we might want to be rewarded immediately, God says there is a, there is a day coming when we will be. It's Galatians 6. 9 reminds us, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We can take comfort knowing God will remember our obedience, and on that final day we will be rewarded with life with him forever. Therefore, let us not give up. So how can we know faith is worth it? Well, because God remembers And then point two, God will vindicate. Read verse 17 with me. It says, On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. God reveals to his people that there is, uh, he's going to act on a future day, on the, the day of the Lord. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 will say, the day that is coming. 
Uh, this day is language that's frequently used by the prophets to, to describe an actual day in the future uh, where God will come and judge the world, or he will bring uh, each person to account for what they've done. I think that's what verse 18 says there. There's going to be this distinction made between two groups of people, uh, the righteous, those who serve God and honor him, and the wicked, those who do not serve him. This day is frequently affirmed in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus himself affirms this in Matthew chapter 25. He's speaking to the crowds. So in verse 31, he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit down on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people from one um, from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So scripture teaches that each of us, including those of us here in this room this morning, on that day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in resurrection bodies and, and we'll hear him proclaim our eternal destiny. What will it be like for us? on that day. Well, Malachi goes on to describe that for us in uh, chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be a stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. So the day, he says, will burn like a furnace. We saw a couple weeks ago that God, to be truly just, uh, he must settle each person's account. He must punish evil and injustice and wrong for what it is, or else he couldn't be truly good. And so God here assures his people uh, that evil will be dealt with. It will be done away with. All those who refuse him and persecute you and, and will be reduced to stubble. The day is coming leaving not a root or a branch. If you're here this morning and you aren't yet a Christian, we're really glad you're with us and you're, you're always welcome here. Uh, when you look to your future, to the day when Christ comes to settle all accounts, this passage would stand as, as a warning to you. Uh, the reality is that all those who reject God and his offer of forgiveness in Christ and persist in this to the end, a judgment day will be a terrible, terrible day. The results of choosing your own way over God's will be devastating. God will turn you over to your sin, the Bible says. It will ensnare you. It will ultimately destroy you. And when that day comes, the window of opportunity will be gone. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book called Confronting Christianity, uh, she recounts uh, the story um, of Onyegin from the classic Russian novel. So um, this guy, Onyegin, is a jaded aristocrat. Uh, he meets this innocent, lovely girl called Tatiana. Uh, Tatiana writes him a letter uh, offering him her love, uh, to which he ultimately turns her down, stating that the, the letter was really touching, but, you know, uh, he'd gr soon grow bored of marriage to her. Years later, 
Onyegin is at a grand party in St. Petersburg. Uh, he sees a stunningly beautiful woman across the room, and of course, it's Tatiana. He's smitten with her, he falls in love with her, but she's now married someone else, and despite all his attempts to win her back, she refuses him. Once the door was open, but now it was shut. And so McLaughlin draws the connection then between this and the final day when Christ returns. Uh, listen to what she says. For many of us, it is easy to reject Jesus now. Like Tatiana's letter, his offer is touching, but we believe we'll be happier without such a commitment. We worry he will cramp our style, and so we move on with life and leave him alone. One day, the Bible warns, we will see Jesus in all his glory, our eyes painfully open to his majesty. We will know in that moment that all our greatest treasures were nothing compared to him, and we will bitterly regret that decision. She goes on to say, but it will be no more unfair than Tatiana's rejections of Onyegin. If we accept Jesus now, we will live with him forever in a fullness of life we cannot imagine. If we reject him, he will one day reject us, and it will be eternally devastating. Friends, this is the choice that's before us this morning, that our passage puts before us. So don't miss this warning, but also don't miss the life-changing offer that Jesus extends to you while there is still time. He says to you today, come to me, be free, come out of your slavery to sin and into joy and rescue. Well, then we might be wondering if we are all sinners, as the Bible describes, how is a different destiny for the righteous and the wicked even possible? Who among us is truly righteous? Aren't all of us condemned by God's law? Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the door is opened for all those who repent to receive spiritual healing. Because Jesus willingly went to the cross, he was burned in the furnace of God's wrath in our place. He was crushed for our restoration. He is the Son on whom the Father did not show compassion, even though he served him faithfully and truly. So now all who have faith in Christ are declared righteous and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life forever. It's as if the final judgment that would have happened on judgment day has been uh, rendered in advance, rendered now. And there's now no fear of that day because the punishment has already been paid by Christ on the cross. So then, for those who cling to Christ, who trust in his sacrifice in their place, when you look to the future, there is great reason for hope. There is great reason to be encouraged, for he will bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. That's Malachi's point there in the next couple of verses, verse 2 and 3. He says, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. 
Jesus Christ is the son of righteousness, the one whom God has appointed to judge. And, and when he comes, he will establish himself as the true king of the world. A healing effect will infuse the earth. It will remove all the negative impacts of sin and death. When Christ returns, God's righteousness and his peace will finally reign and flood the earth. So not only will Christians be spared from the wrath to come, they will experience a healing and a glory unlike anything they've ever known. For Christians, uh, the day will be like a sun rising with healing, destroying the darkness from the face of the earth. Uh, I once heard a story of a student whose mom got into a serious car crash around midnight one night. Uh, he said uh, he rushed to the hospital where the doctors uh, were caring for her, and they weren't sure if she was going to make it till the morning. Well, there was some hope, they said. Uh, her body and her lungs were fighting well for life. Uh, and so by the morning, they would have a better idea if she would actually stabilize and be okay or if she would pass. The student recounts that that was the darkest night of his life. And all he could think about as minute by minute of the darkness went on was the sun coming up in the morning, pleading that it would come. Sure enough, after a long night of fighting, the sun finally rose, and with it the assurance that his mom's breathing had stabilized, that she would live. Friends, this is what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. His appearance will be like uh, the hope of a new sunrise after a long and dark night. It will be a day of deliverance and of healing for all who follow Jesus. And in this day, we will rejoice. Uh, verse 2 says we're going to frolic like well-fed calves. Maybe you've never pictured yourself frolicking like a calf before, uh, but I think you get the picture. Uh, you're free. You're alive. All the physical pain you've endured in this life, all the injustice that you've seen or experienced, all the hopelessness, all the anxiety, the fear, suddenly and absolutely gone forever. The sun of righteousness will put an end to it all. All our burdens and trials will melt away like the shadows of the night. So though many in this world would believe that the Christian's faith is in vain, when this day comes, it'll be proven once and for all that faith in God is truly worth it. It will be publicly demonstrated for the whole world that faith in God isn't just wishful thinking or some cosmic delusion. Instead, God's people will stand with Jesus in victory. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. As one pastor says, uh, no one ultimately tests God and escapes, just as no one serves God and loses. We will be victorious with him. So church, whatever ways you are struggling these days in faith, whatever ways you're being persecuted maybe for following Christ, the Lord gives words like this to assure us that it will all be worth it on the day of sight when we see Jesus himself restoring his people. May our confidence in the justice and care of our Father be made strong for the battles that we face here. 
So God will vindicate. And finally, more briefly, uh, faith in God will be worth it because God will be faithful. Look at verse 4 to 6. Lord says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. These final verses in Malachi to the people are actually the last words that we get in the Old Testament, the last words before Jesus comes in the book of Matthew. And they really sum up everything we've heard in Malachi so far. In verse 4, he asks them to obey, to trust God, to remember his laws, to stop being unfaithful and, and trust that the Lord wants to bless them, that he wants to be their God. They want him to follow him. And then in verse 5 and 6, he ends with this promise, a promise that he will send the, the prophet Elijah before judgment day comes. And this coming will bring a sort of uh, reconciliation there in verse 6. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy here. He says that all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is the Elijah to come. We see this there in Matthew uh, chapter 17 as well. So Jesus says to his disciples, uh, his disciples asked him, saying, Why then did the scribes say Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did whatever they wished. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. John, as a kind of metaphorical Elijah, Uh, Just as prophets would do, he called people to repentance and obedience, preparing the people of his generation for Jesus to come. Christ was the one who who came to seek and save the lost. So the promise here is that the king and his forerunner, John, will come. This is how the Old Testament ends. There's hope. Uh, God is going to do something about the sin and the effects of sin that these people see in the world. And soon, in just 400 years or so, uh, this would come true in the coming of Jesus, just as God said it would. And so I think for us, the encouragement is this. If God's people then could be confident that their faith was worth it because Jesus would come to make all things new, how much more confident can we be now that Jesus' promise, uh, God's promise for Jesus has come true? Just as Jesus' first arrival uh, was a sure thing that was, was fulfilled after 400 years, uh, Jesus' second return to make all things new is absolutely sure. We can be confident in that. Why? Because God has proven that he is faithful to his promises. Uh, My son, Wesley, uh, struggles at the moment when I leave for work or go out when I need to. He's afraid that if I go, he doesn't know kind of when or if I'll return home. And so he kind of freaks out. Even when I tell him, you know, it's it's okay. Like, I promise I'm I'm coming back. I'm not going to go anywhere. 
Well, he's, it brings him no real confidence, no real relief. Uh, what finally helped him? Well, it's once he'd seen me be true to my word and actually come back that he then could trust that my words and my promises were true. If Wesley can trust my promises, a faulty, imperfect, and fickle human being, how much more can we trust those of our Heavenly Father, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Friends, let this then make us more trusting and faithful and to be able to endure whatever we face with faith because our faith will turn to sight when we behold him face to face, when he comes at last. And so why is present faith and obedience to God worth it? Why can we endure trials and suffering and persecution for the sake of Jesus? Because God will remember our acts of faithfulness. Because God will vindicate his people on the last day. Because God will be faithful to his promises. So friends, when temptation is overwhelming, when we're feeling as if obeying God is just not worth it, how can we be reminded of the truths we've heard today? Certainly uh, memorizing some of the passages we've gone over is a good place to start. Meditating on our future hope that's sure in Christ. I think we also need each other. We need our brothers and sisters who are going to encourage us to keep pressing into obedience when trials come and not away from it. This is what Hebrews 10 reminds us as well. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, that final day, approaching. By God's grace, we'll wait for that day, faithfully and hopefully, until our faith is turned to sight. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for that great comfort that brings for those of us who are in Christ to to look forward to that day when Jesus returns to make all things new and to to right every wrong. We pray, Lord, that you'd you'd help us as a church be a people who trust you in faith, even when we can't see the end or can't see the reward. We trust that your commands are for our good and that you'll vindicate our cause on that last day. We pray, Lord, you'd use us in each other's lives as we encourage each other in this way as well. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.